Welcome, I'm John Lynch and I'm the host of The Discarded Compass, the podcast for the season seeker. If this resonates, please subscribe to us for future episodes. So without further ado, sit back, relax and join me and my guest as we deep dive into the mystery of spiritual enlightenment. Welcome again to The Discarded Compass and I'm going to get straight into our guest, it's Mandy's Soul. Mandy has a website, by the way, healingbyrevealingsoul.com. We never know what's next with Mandy because she's a very colourful person. Let's get, let's get into the interview. Mandy, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Yeah. How are you? I'm good, thank you. And I've been looking forward to this. And we know one another for years on Facebook and things. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. Yeah, we've been in touch, haven't we? <laughs> yeah. And I remember you had quite a profound awakening and your book is fairly powerful as well uh i i was told can, can like where <laughs> someone that someone obviously got it <laughs> obviously got the message got the joy of no self that's the one, one of the page, one of the pages is blank and it just says enjoy this page <laughs> that's the message isn't it and I was, list- I, I was listening to you with my daughter and my daughter said, who are you interviewing? I said, Mandy Sulk. She goes, hmm, she sounds interesting. She looks fun. And she was listening to the thing of where you took the lid off a jar of salad and you had an awakening or some sort. Oh, it's, I can't remember that one. But it's, about, it's about the moment, Sandy, M- Mandy. Do you remember that? The moment. Uh, no, but, but, but there's been quite a few moments. <laughs> it might pop up in my memory as we go on. <laughs> and you had a moment when you were younger, you had an awakening of, of sorts. What happened then? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's been quite a few. I think I think the one that's, that's in my book, the one I've probably, the biggest one, was when I was um, 18 and... Uh, I was uh, riding um, a motorbike. Well, it wasn't really a motorbike. It was more of a m- more of a moped. Actually, you wouldn't have thought you could have accidents really on one. Anyway, uh, I was going down a road, and a lady was coming out of, with her car and just not looking. And and I just realised there was going to be a big collision. Um, and and I just saw that I was going to die, and I thought, oh, I'm going to die now. And um, it was just, and, and then this sort of inner voice just said, let go of the handlebars, <laughs> which is completely counterintuitive. Usually you want to hold on like anything. But I just obeyed that voice and just um, let go. And um, what happened that people saw was, and I was little and thin, <laughs> not like now. So you probably can't imagine this now, but I was very petite then. And uh, there was a, a really a massive impact and crash between this moped, actually, and the mini car. And apparently um, I went through the back of the windscreen of the mini and out through the other side. And the mini car was a complete write-off, complete write-off. And so was the, the, the moped, just completely beyond repair. And I was lying dead on the street. So that's what people saw um for me what happened was that at that point of impact i didn't i wasn't aware of any impact i just was aware of being sort of lifted if you like up and up and up and up and um 
it was uh, 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 as I as I went higher, it just became happier, you know, and uh, and and I was looking down and I could see the shops and the people and everything, and I suddenly realised that I could see through them; they were completely transparent, and I started laughing my head off and think, oh my goodness, this is all a dream. There's absolutely no uh, reality to it. Everything's just made of light, you know, but with the physical senses, you see it as something dense. But with, anyway, these senses, um, it looked light. So I went up and up and there were things that looked like trees, but there weren't trees, looked like brown pillars with a green light so it felt like I was in a woods but I wasn't and it, I didn't see any people and there weren't any tunnels and there was nobody familiar it was just a feeling of intense love as if I was at a 10 star hotel and my wish is their command you know it just felt like the, the ultimate in hospitality that's that's how I put it and and I saw these columns that looked like trees and they all had sort of open sesame shaped doors in them and I just knew that behind each door there was something absolutely wonderful and and I just couldn't wait to go through one and I was just about to go through one when I woke up on the road and um you know, they'd drawn a chalk line. Apparently, I was clinically dead, you know. <laughs> and then I woke up. But the thing was, um, I didn't even have a bruise on me. I didn't have whiplash. I didn't have a cut. I didn't have a bruise, nothing. And the, and yet the, the bike and the car were the, a complete uh, write-off. And all I did have a feeling was just a silly smile on my face and just the kind of feeling that everything is just so okay, you know. And um, and and any fear of death just went then. That that was you know there was no fear of death. Um, and I suppose you know um, and that has because it's been in the background. I mean that happened when I, I'm I'm pretty old now. You know because like I'm sixty seven now, and I was about eighteen when that happened. So um, I can it did shape my life because you you can't forget something like that. Um, and, you know, you just can't take things quite so seriously when you've sort of been through something like that. And you realise that as long as that you are present to whatever's happening, it's always dealable with um, and that you get the right ideas at the right time. But when you're stuck in present or future, present or future, ideas can't come through, you know. Any ideas that are really good don't come from you, you see. They come from beyond that, your essence, which is the infinite essence. So that was that was the big one. <laughs> that, I've written about that in that little book. And that's in your book, is it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I wrote that book donkey's years ago in about 2006. I'm trying to write a couple of other ones now all at the same time. <laughs> But that, that one's called the joy of no self, and uh, yeah, and 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 really, I mean, you know, I I, I just kind of um, I don't do anything. Rem- I'm not I'm not in any way remarkable. I'm not one of these uh, remarkable <laughs> teachers, and I'm not I'm not a teacher. You know, I just kind of uh, live life as it's happening, really. So, you know, I, I mean, it's sort of. Um, so it's 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 a pretty 
ha- happy way to live because there's, you know, there's no description about, well, this is good and this is bad or this is, you know, fearful or that's not fearful. or It's just um, there's less and less, um, there's just not much description really, um, not, not much narrative. I mean, I think everybody's the same. I think the only difference between... Um, sages and non-sages and I'm certainly not a sage maybe an onion <laughs> no sorry uh, I, I mean uh, is that um, everybody hears thoughts but most people are interested in them and addicted to them and totally curious about their thoughts and um, and well I can only speak for me and, and I'm not interested I'm, I'm not interested in what, what the thoughts have to say uh, you know unless I'm planning to do something so i'm not led by the nose by them i suppose did that happen post awakening that you wouldn't be identified with thoughts anymore or what was the difference because i'm looking at this like that was quite profound and you're saying well you know you're not saying too much about how it changed for your life but you were still young when it happened and it's quite a remarkable as you said event to happen in anyone's life um yeah, but you don't need that. You see, that's mm. that's the danger. Sometimes I don't really say about it, just because I don't I don't like people to think that if, it, if something like that doesn't happen to them, they, they can't live in a way where they're living without the listening to the commentary. Um, so I can't say that. I wish I could say, but I can't say <laughs> that straight after that. Oh, I was enlightened and I lived life. Oh, no, no, no. I mean, it just made me more of a seeker, really. And um, uh, so then I went through everything that everybody goes through. You know, I I read, uh, oh, I was into Taoism and different types of Buddhism and Christian science and uh, all sorts of um, things, you know. Um, And then... um, you know, when I read, as probably most people that have watched this have read this at some time, and if not, I kind of hope they have really, because I still think it's one of the greatest books, is just The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. And, um, and that made me um, totally get in touch with that part of me that had happened, you know, that accident. And, and um, it, 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 it sort of, for me, uh, that had an immediate impact because it sort of was stuck together like glue, that experience from many years ago and what he was talking about, you know. And that simple truth of just, you know, keep keeping coming back to this present moment and being present um, is something that is so often overlooked and I think I think um with Eckhart who I haven't had the I've been to see him live but I never had the haven't had the pleasure of meeting um I just think it's so he I think for me I think he's an amazing teacher you see and I kind of read the book thought it was amazing had fantastic things happen and I'm going back years to when that book came out and then I sort of came away from it because it was actually so simple you see because it's so simple and that's it and a lot of people overlook that teaching now because um and and go into what we call the world of non-duality 
Actually, the world of non-duality that I experienced after the, you know, spending a lot of time with all those Eckhart books and, and going to see them and everything, drew me away from the experiential into the conceptual. It was like, you know, like in the, in, in the Bible, it says in the Garden of Eden, like Adam and Eve, they're floating about, really, really happy, living in the present moment. And then this snake comes along and, or is it the snake comes with the apple, you know, and it says, go and have this tree of knowledge thing. And when I look back, I think that's what happened. I think that when I got into the non-duality stuff, it was like biting the apple of knowledge because although it's described all the time, nobody can do this, nobody can get that, you know, there's non-dual speak, which you hear everybody use all the time. And, and it ceases to have um, the energy of immediate transmission because it is spoken about in terms that everybody repeats over and over and over you know there, there's like as I say that what I used to call non-duality speak and I'd have people writing to me saying oh I can't talk to my partner anymore because that well, everything they talk about is just so trivial you know compared to me and my non-dual understanding <laughs> you know and all that kind of thing and, and I realized that everybody was going and buying all these non-duality books as I was going to see non-duality teachers as I was. I even ran something called Non-Duality North where I invited, you know, pretty much most of the, the, the some of the most famous non-duality teachers who come and stay with me for the weekend and we put them on and stuff. And, and I, I, people were mistaking the message and sometimes the transmission wasn't there the the speaking about it was there but not so much the transmission not so much that simple feeling of love I, I rarely got that feeling of loving expansion that I feel again now when I look back and and and, and again watch um you know well, Eckhart Tolle's uh, videos and, and things. I mean, I'm not, uh, he, I, I mentioned Eckhart because it's so direct and, and it's so simple. As I say, that people miss it. They almost see his, him and his teachings as something that, oh, they started with years ago, left it because then they went down the new non-dual uh, approach, the non-dual approach. But as I say, it seems to me that that's where people went off the ra rails a bit because it it's so much it's very joyful um when we give ourselves permission to just simply not keep describing things you know it's just so simple it's like if somebody came in the room now well you and I are together and said to me oh do you know where the string is or something so I might say, hang on, um, if you don't mind. Uh, right, now the string. Oh, yeah, it's in the cupboard on the left. You'll have to just get up the steps, blah, 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 and you'll find it there. The first thing that I'll say to you is, now, where were we? Because we've chopped that thought chain, haven't we? We've chopped it, and it's harder to get back. So one of the easiest, you know, ways of just keeping coming back to this moment is to just 
having lots and lots of little pauses. And you know, when we notice ourselves very engaged in thinking, then we just introduce a pause of just that long, not even a second. And 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 then people try and categorise things like that, like, oh, is that a teaching or is that a practice? Oh, God forbid. <laughs> and it, it's just a sort of a little hint that kind of brings ease. And when we're and and and, and then when we're in those um, pauses, we notice that. Um, well, in, in, it's everything's neutral in, in the pause. There's, it's neutral. I mean, you you know this. Everybody that's listening knows this. That the only way that we suffer is because we describe our experience. But all experience is neutral, isn't it? Even if, even if you would say the worst experience or the most awful, so-called awful thing that you could imagine or see on TV, it is actually neutral, isn't it? Unless you describe it, you, you can't get away from that, can you? Well, we, we can't. I mean, there's a lot to unpack in what you've said. Um, I'm just thinking, like, where to start about it. I mean, the, the major thing with what you said there was uh, after having an awakening, maybe, of sorts, and seeing through the the thinking patterns, which which happened for me, it was quite sudden and quick and into the search. And then, I'd like to hear yours. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Well, I'm sure everybody would love to hear it. I, I, for some reason, I'm very slow talking about, and I, I think it's for a lot of the reasons I heard people talk about why they don't, uh, why they don't talk about it so much. Uh, well, look, you've got me now, Mandy. Actually, well, I just don't believe interviews should be about one person. I like a conversation myself. You know. Okay. Yeah. I mean, well, I, I had a, a sudden seeing through of of things uh, through tremendous suffering. Uh, life wasn't uh, easy, and it's not easy for, for lots of us, you know. And so it wasn't easy here too much. But there was, like you said about the thinking patterns, there was a lot of glue to the the thinking patterns, and through trying to release from them thinking patterns, a lot more glue uh, applied itself. In other words, the more you suffered, the more I tried to get away from suffering, the more I suffered. So it was a spiral, uh, really. And my life as such collapsed about 2009, 2008, 2009. Every area sort of uh, collapsed, you know, and I was just left with, with life and wondering what it was about. And I said, I don't care what happens. I'm going to find out what it's about. And literally, if I have to lose myself in the, the searching, so be it. And I think there was a certain courage in that. There was a certain, there was a seriousness about, okay, what am I about? What makes me tick? What are the parts of a human being? What is the thought process? Why, why do we suffer so much? There were a lot of questions and I wanted answering. And yeah, I, I had some sort of, um, I met a guru and I just sat down, the, the the thinking collapsed and there was a lot of laughter and things like that. But but that was it. But getting back to your talking about you, <laughs> that was it. But then, like the snake and the apple and the tree of knowledge, um, it didn't seem like it could be me and it could be as simple as that. I think low self-esteem really does matter in in amongst this somehow. And Tim Freak mentioned it in another podcast. It's about integrating the human being into awakening and, and things. It's like oil and water. D- 
does it mix? Apparently not. But, you know, if there, if somebody does have an awakening, what's wrong with the ego as well? I mean, as far as I could see, I, I, I gave up the searching and it or gave me up. I, I just left the fold and I went crazy into life, into business. And I just can't stop that. Um, even if I tried, I just can't stop it at the moment. And part of me wonders how it happened. I left the actual spiritual search. But through a, a sickness over a few years ago, a uh, very serious illness, I, I came out of it. And I'm just mad into life now, you know, really into life and all it can offer. And there's a certain um, exhilaration about everything, a certain test of limits, maybe. It's a total different lifestyle as such. Um, and it's like nothing really did change, but something must have changed that I, I really can't put a finger on. Um, I, I just don't know. It feels a bit like where you are. Why would you leave the, the teaching? I mean, you've described it. You still are in the spiritual arena with the mysticism and the poetry and things like that. And I'm just wondering why you left that as well. Oh, I I, I don't think you can ever leave it. I, I don't think you can leave it. I, mm. I, even if you want to, it doesn't leave you. So you can't really leave it. You, you only think you can. Um, I, I think that, um, you see, when when I said that um, I went off and then went into the world of non-duality and everything, but finally, you know, I, I went into self-inquiry as well, very, very deeply, and I kind of had three months where I just didn't see anybody and just kind of used my house as a cave and really, this is a, a lot of years ago, and um, really, really went into the self-inquiry, um, which, which was great, you know, to really find out you, what you are as that true essence prior to the appearance kind of thing. And so that was, you know, it was immensely useful. And, and I'm glad that um, uh, that happened because, and, and I, it couldn't have done anything else. I mean, the thing that you realise is that everything happens the way it happens and you can't really do anything <laughs> else about it. That's what I find anyway. And so um, otherwise, just being happy all the time just because I'm living in the present, um, uh, it, it sounds like there was no depth to it. In fact, living in the present is incredible depth, actually, <laughs> because that's in that nowness. That's where the the feeling of love and infinite space is. Um, but that thing about integration... To me, um, it's not having an opinion about it. It's not divorcing anything um, from one from the other, you know. It's not saying that one thing's spiritual and one thing's not. I've got a friend at the moment who um, is very, very sort of incredible consultant, medical, medical guy, doctor and everything, very high up and everything, and he was that for many years. And then... Um, you know, he he's um, he, he's an amazing guy. I just I can't remember the name of his book, so it's a bit embarrassing moments. But but he's an amazing guy anyway. Anyway, he, he sort of saw Jesus and things, and 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 Jesus was telling him, um, diagnosing people that were coming to him that nobody else could diagnose, and they were getting it wrong. But only this guy got it right. So he gave up his practice and and lived doing sort of healings for people and whatnot um you know um but then found that he couldn't afford it and and found that he had to go back to medical practice and felt this awful sort of split about it and you know we were discussing it and i was saying well 
just drop the idea that one thing's spiritual and one thing isn't. Because if, if you have had that experience anyway, and if you're coming with an open, loving heart, how could we divorce the two? That, you know, that's that's being spiritual, isn't it? It's, it's, uh, it's another description anyway, isn't it? The spiritual life, being spiritual. Um, I think being lost in thought, then we don't access our essence. So we could say that. We just drop the words of being spiritual, having a spiritual life. It's simply that if we if we are lost in thoughts so much to the point that we become completely unconscious of our essence, then we are, as it says in the Bible, as a branch cut off from the tree. You know, we are unplugged from our source. So we lose our energy, we lose our happiness and joy. And, it, and um, it's about keeping an eye on things really um and never ever getting to the point um i mean i'm not interested in the word enlightenment or anything like that awakening yeah because we're all awakening and awakening is ongoing kind of thing but enlightenment can suggest that oh that's it i've stopped now everything's done you know I can't be that way because there's there is only this present moment and things are unfolding in this present moment so um, to have an opinion um, like that um, can be a cause for concern because we can lose our humility. So we keep an eye on it. And Ramana Maharshi said that too. He said, I can't remember the exact quote. But I used to have the quote where he was basically saying that you keep an eye on it, you know. And uh, so um, what you're doing if what you're doing right now is what you are doing and you feel incapable of doing anything else but what you're doing, then that's absolutely perfect, isn't it? That is you in the perfect place at the perfect time. There, there, there can't be anything wrong with it. And how do we know that? Because you're doing it, because it's happening. And that's our proof. <laughs> so how do we lead an authentic life as such? Um, it seems that suffering is really something that we could do without. How do we lead a life without suffering and to, to lead a life of full potential? I think the suffering is what causes us to seek. So it's very useful, isn't it? Because, I mean, so my um, life growing up at home um, was uh, extremely um, difficult. There the, the, the weren't a naturally loving family I, I think uh anyway I, I don't want to go in, into it because it sounds like being a victim and i'm yes, not a victim yeah. it was perfect but it was extremely sad and difficult and hard and um and i was sort of kind of on my own a lot so so that suffering i'm just so grateful for it because that's what made me seek, you know. At first it started like a lot of little girls do, looking for sort of wishing stones and fairies in the woods. But for me, that never stopped, you know. It, it, I was so wanting to see magic because I felt that that offered a world where there was kindness and sweetness and cherishing and nurturing and love, which is not what I was experiencing. So, um so I'm so glad, you know, that that felt so absent because it really made me um, look. I mean, it pulled me into all sorts of directions with some very strange people and some very bizarre kind of organisations, you know. But that was just, I'm glad that happened too. You know, it was all 
path of the course. So suffering is uh, is crucial so that until we can see through the suffering, you know, there's no um, there's no kind of way to circumnavigate it or shortcut uh, it. Um, and and it, it's just allowing everything to be just as it is. If suffering, it's not about trying to avoid suffering. Suffering comes up for me too, you know, like... If I get angry about something, that's not comfortable, but I just allow it to be there and don't add any heat to it. If there's a judgment, um, then I just don't pay it any attention. I think it's to do with attention. You don't have to pay attention to the suffering. There is, in fact, always a choice. You know, do I want to go down this road? But that's when you wake, that's what we mean by awakening, that you are awake to the fact that there is a choice because when you're not awake then you're not aware there's a choice you, you think you are your thoughts and you get buried in them and it's horrible that's the worst suffering i think that's one of the one of the biggest things that i i discovered you could say was you know you were fully a person and i would say this to a layman they'd say look you should be locked up you think you're not a person but what is the me anyway if you ask someone they can't really define it quickly you know um so Believing you're a person is really heavy and we're taught that, especially someone as old as me, you, you know, you, you you go back away and people are brought up with old uh, religious teachings and especially here it was quite heavy. So we're really heavily conditioned. I was really heavily conditioned with being a, such and such of a person's person that all different kind of characteristics gained from a family similar to what you were describing. Then it's very heavy, Mandy. I'm sure, you, you, like you've just said, there's a lot of heaviness about that. But for for a teaching and for so, somewhere from like the Eastern teachings have, have reached the West now. And so we're discovering, yeah, oh, there's more to this. This makes sense. There's actually, there's a way out of this. Like you mentioned Eckhart Tolle. I started reading Eckhart and I became obsessed with Eckhart. And I think that's what caused my life, what caused my life to collapse. <laughs> In some way, it started from there. Um, so, you know, old structures, beliefs I had about money, relationships, they started to collapse and something new was revealing itself. Now we're talking about something I feel now, that that freedom, that life without the handbrake on, that fullness of living was always there, wasn't it? And it was obscured by, by that heavy pattern, yeah? Yes, definitely. Definitely, and and you you know then um, and then you you start to become lighter, and that's when I've got into some things that some people might find strange, <laughs> you know, because I started to notice that there was light round everything. Like, I mean, of course there is light round everything, but I could I could I started to be able to see it even round toilet rolls. <laughs> Everything, every object, I, could, I, I started to be able to see the light before the object because every object, um, it, it has the appearance and the feeling, if you touch it, of being solid. But if you imagine, let's say you look at a chair and then you imagine, you can imagine it, but it's true actually, that you can see sort of a lighter version of the chair behind it and then an even lighter version of the chair behind that and an even lighter one. And then the same from from the front of the chair, you know, and from the back of the chair. There's 
you, you start to get it that um, light, when it's really, really sort of condensed, becomes becomes matter, energy becomes matter. And I'm no scientist, so I'm saying it all wrong, but you know what I mean. And and um, wh- when I'm not engaged in thoughts, it you see, that's what I started to notice, that because there was more, more spaciousness, I was able to, not looking for it, not trying to do it, just it just started to come that uh, I was just aware more and more of the the object and the light of the object, the light form before it was the object at the same time as seeing the object. And then that led me to see um, something that looked like, well, I, I suppose I call them halos, and I won't, I won't, I might freak people out, so I won't go on about it. But there's a page on my website, which is healingbyrevealingsoul.com, called Halo Gazing, because I, I would, I'd like people to have a go, really, because basically it's just looking above people's heads, and above people's heads, there's their magnificent being. It's not that aura, nothing to do with the aura, nothing to do with chakras. It's something that's specifically there it's their absolute essence and it's completely beautiful and so people come to me and I I I gaze at them or they send me a photograph if they can't cut and I and I draw these things I I draw them and um, send them to them and so the the point is that it's just a way of seeing um how everybody it's a, it's a way of seeing everybody's perfection. You see, every, everybody is just so perfect. And the, why it's so crucial that we need to do everything we can to awaken is because otherwise we, we, we don't see it in ourselves and we don't see it in others. So if we're believing in our thoughts, we're believing in what somebody is presenting to us as them. But for the most part, what's being presented is their thoughts about them. So you've got in front of you somebody who thinks they're too thin or they're too fat, they're too tall or they're too short. They don't like themselves because they're not good enough. And, and they're actually lost in that and they're presenting that to you just as you, if you believe those things about you, are presenting that to them. So one of the things, um, and that's just sort of, going to the power poem so uh, a filmmaker who makes four minute videos <laughs> specializes in four minute videos came to me and asked and he said he he'd heard about the the, the the book and he said um i'd like to do a film just on the subject of identity you see and i thought oh crumbs four minutes about identity well if, if i just said i am <laughs> That's not really going to do it. And then uh, then the other side of that is trying to describe something that you can't see could be too long. So I came up with this poem. It was given to me, received. Don't ask me by who. It just came through called What is My Identity If I Am Not My Name? And it was really good because it's, um, yeah, if it's not on the website, I'll put it on there. It's it's really about that breaking down. I mean, one of the lines that's a real mind stopper is if you say, um, uh, imagine, you've, imagine you've got no memory at all. Well, you, you can't actually do that, you see. Your mind goes blank. So 
in this poem, it sort of expresses about the the, the ungraspableness of the of the identity. Anyway, going back to what you were saying, um, that's well, no, to what I was saying. <laughs> This is this is why I think awakening is so crucial, so that we're not lost in the things that we think about ourselves, because it makes us think those things about other people, and then we create all this separation. I'll stop there in case you want, in case I'm waffling on, going off on one. No, that's quite fascinating. And the seeing of light, you said that previously in your experience that you had when you were younger, there was like a seeing of light and... And it was coming oh, yeah. from, from light. Um, can you talk about that energy a bit, maybe? Um, so, well, when it was that accident, um, that was, just, I could see all the objects you see, but I, I could see they were transparent. And I could see that this is how it it, it, it is, is that this whole world that appears so real is actually thought up by something that is beyond what we can even name. And if, if you know, it, it's the isness of, I mean, yes, some people could call it God, but I don't want to put people off because we don't need to get all religious on anybody. That's just not... You know, some people don't believe in God, but this, it's so. I'm talking about the essential isness of everything. Um, creates moment by moment the present picture that we see, just like frames in a film. So on a projector, film projector, there's one frame going after, and it's going so fast that you can't see that when you're watching the movie. Um, you only see a, a flawless image in real time you know as you're seeing this image here but in fact it's thousands of images millions of images going very 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 fast creating and as we have all these little judgments and thoughts we're moment by a moment creating all these little mini realities <laughs> you know that are all the little things that happen to us through the day um and the, so we don't have to worry so much about karma and reincarnation and all that because um, when we're silent, when we live more presently without buying into the thinking, we're not really creating anything at that so. So things flow so much more easily. Things just flow, really. And it's about living in that flow. That's that's really how to do it. And people say to me, um, yeah, but what do you do when your thoughts racing and racing and racing? Well, when you notice that they're racing and racing, right there, then you're in that space we call awareness. That Because something's aware of all those thoughts going round and round. But I think people get far too worried about everything, <laughs> you know, worried about kind of um, are they being spiritual enough? Are they, you know, are they being kind enough? Are they being good enough? Are they being uh, spacious enough, you know? 
really it's uh it's about just not trying and not efforting and not minding things so much you know it's it's like when you stop describing life becomes so much easier I mean, one day in the cupboard, somebody was coming to collect me and I was late. And I just said, oh, you just got to put this thing away in the cupboard. And <laughs> a whole box of icing sugar, <laughs> it just exploded out the cupboard. It covered me, covered the floor. And there was wet bits on the floor, covered the surfaces. There was wet bits on the surfaces because I'd just been wiping everything. And... Um, and then the dog came in and he was covered in it. Uh, <laughs> and I thought, and this person's getting impatient, you know, outside. But I didn't have any, uh, I mean, first of all, I just laughed. And, and then I didn't have a clue what to do about it. Just nothing, because it was so extreme. It was everywhere. What, what do you use, you know? So I just stood there, really. And I found that more and more, I'm not describing anything. So there was no, oh, shit. You know, there was no swearing. There was no, oh, you know, it's just what was happening. It's just neutral. I think I, I, I came to learn that through all the Eckhart Tolle work, but then it became automatic and then it became who I was. You know, it just, it just, uh, you see, I, I just think it's simple. I mean, if, if you want to live a life that's more stress free, you've got to put a bit of work in, like anything, like going to the gym. You know, when I first got the power of now, I did everything that I'd, I'd stare at a flower for half an hour. I'd do, I'd do the work, you know, until eventually it, it wasn't effortful. I just had an emptier mind through the practice until that became who I was. And it was a very deep thing. It wasn't superficial. It was extremely deep, you know. And so with this icing sugar thing, what happened was, um, you know, the friend comes, oh, oh, my God, you know, I've got no reaction to it. But I, So it, I just stand there. And then an idea comes, and the idea was, oh, haven't you got one of those little electric things in the shed that I thought, oh, oh, I don't know if, where it is. And I thought, oh, all right, it says it's in the shed. I'll go to the shed. I found it, and it had about a sort of a, one seconds of charge left in it. It went, <laughs> but that little charge was just enough to make the tiniest inroad, and it gave me time, time to think, all right, well, I need a microfiber cloth for this bit, then I'll have a brush for this bit, and then the dog started helping out and licking the floor. And honestly, in five minutes, this whole snow-white kitchen was, was cleared up. You know, and I know that if I'd had a reaction about that, oh God, person's waiting. Oh, what am I going to do? Oh, and I can't leave it like this. It'll set like icing everywhere. You know, it, it would have been, uh, it would have been a very different experience. So it's little things like that that I learn so much from because it's the little safe things where everything's really fine and something like that is just so trivial that when it comes to the bigger things, the much bigger things, the more traumatic things, you're able to deal with it because you've been living that way and practicing that way. So I don't care what people say about practice. I think practice is important unless you suddenly have an enlightened experience and everything falls away. 
Uh, but that's very rare, you know. I mean, it does happen to some people. And it happened sometimes to me, and then I'd go back. But then there was nothing like kind of living more with a little bit of practice and until it even the practice fell away it just became who I was but that's the same with any practice isn't it you don't need the book anymore you know whatever it is you know so I don't know what you think about that John but that was you know, that's been my experience you've said quite a lot there I mean I remember there was some a lot of energetic stuff happening for me uh, actually above my head you know I don't go into the into them too much but no, like Really? Oh. <laughs> I didn't think there was much happening up there, to be honest. <laughs> when we talk about this stuff, we bring it right out there. Everybody mm. can feel it at the time. We're talking about it. We're bringing it into the awareness. So, you know, we'll transmit it to each other, listeners. It's not just one person transmitting it. You're transmitting it. I'm transmitting it. Those that are listening are transmitting it. We transmit it to each other. And it was interesting that awakening experience I had nearly 10 years ago. Um, I remember she was the guru. She was looking above my head, actually. Um, for, for she kept looking up here. And that you just made me remember. I don't know why that's relevant, but this woman uh, would have seen a lot of energetic things when her, when she was going through her spiritual thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, hmm. So I, I I wouldn't like I, I did have energetic things taking off. Um, but for me, they were just experiences, even insights were just experiences for me. But the energetic thing, I remember uh, it kicking off. There was like a an uppouring or a downpouring of, of energy. Uh, mm. And I used to sit in my chair there every evening and things happening. Yeah. Mm. Really? Mm. Just mm. letting whatever happen. Um well, how about surrender? How would you be about surrender to, to that power? And that power, when you were describing that power, God, that, whatever it is, it's quite, I could feel it arising in me that it's quite undescribable. And for just to apparently know that it will never, ever, ever be known can be astonishing to the person. But why does it mean nothing as such if you're not anchored in the person? It's like there's a there's a neutralness. And then if it's like the person thinks it's wonderful and then there's a neutralness, there's like a, it can only be defined if there's a person defining it and it, it can't be defined if there's nobody defining it. it it's um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I absolutely love that word surrender. If, if anybody had to say, what's your most favourite word in the whole, you know, English language, it would be surrender. I, I, I love that because that one word for me, you don't need any other words. That is that one word does it. It's surrender. It's letting go all the time. Letting go of your will. You know. Again, it says, "Thy will, thy will be done." And I, I always think, "Thy will, not my will, be done. Thy will be done." Um, and and it's it's very humbling. Keeps your feet on the ground. You know that you're always um, letting go for a higher power, no matter how trivial the thing, whether it's icing sugar on the floor or somebody very close to you died or whatever it is, uh, or you're reading about the suffering of, of other people, you know, that can feel overwhelming if you, you can feel helpless about it. But, you know, you, you're not actually helpless because, you see, I think the thing is that most people unless they get this 
bug to seek and everything. Um, they, they live life in judgment, you know. They're, they're judging everything. Every, every part of their experience is judged. And they're judging other people. And so when, when you live a life where you're judging all the time, there's no room for surrender because your will is always intervening, isn't it? You know, it's trying to do something about something. Um, but when we just, you know, like I was watch, watching something recently and, you know, about something to animals, you know, very upsetting. That's That's my Achilles heel. I just love animals, you know. But just allowing and utter, utterly surrendering to that feeling of grief and sorrow um, and feeling it going right to the point where sitting in it, really, sitting in that feeling, but without adding words to it, that's the, without adding description to it, then you're not avoiding it. You you are facing it head on, and it's courageous, like you said earlier. It's courageous. You're facing experience head on, but you're not naming it and describing it, which makes the suffering far worse. You're just accepting it deeply. Accepting um, is a very deep thing, which is misunderstood, accepting is, uh, because some people think, well, if you just accept everything, oh, I just accept it, I just accept it, as, as if, you know... Uh, sort of belittling what that really means. I mean, really accepting something is feeling it absolutely so that if you feel like, you know, my, my beloved dog Howard died recently. I absolutely adored him. I, I had saw him that. He was yeah. 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 He was I, fabulous. Well, he, he was, he, you know, he was, um, I had him since he was five weeks old, you see, and he was nearly 15 when he died. And um, he was just my absolute, constant companion and best friend and it was just so full of fun you know he was like my co-host I'd be in the kitchen and he'd be entertaining people you know <laughs> so um I recently but recorded a, a music album and that came to me through this light that's something else and that's on my website as well choose only love album and uh Anyway, on the day that I had to go into the studio with the musician, another musician who'd come from hundreds of miles, I couldn't, I couldn't um, cancel the studio. I had to go into the studio at four in the afternoon, and I had to. Howard had been so ill, we had to put him down, which is just the worst thing that you have to do. I had to do that at eleven in the morning, and 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 sort of be okay. And and how I got through that from eleven till four before we went in the studio was facing that the the the, the sorrow and the grief head on. So this this um, whole thing isn't you can't say oh it's. Uh, I'm all awakened and I don't suffer anymore. You know, it, it's just, I think the, the word suffering is the misleading thing. I mean, it was very deeply sad, very sad. And, you know, grief strikes you. So you could say I was grief stricken. So I, the, the musician was staying with me. So he stayed in large, only got a small house. And I just went into my bedroom and I said, I just have to be with these feelings and um, I'll come out when I'm ready, you know. 
And I just allowed all the feelings to come up. Absolutely. That's living. That's life. The full belt of the full aliveness of those feelings of sadness, of loss, of grief, but not describing them, just allowing it completely till my whole being shook with it from head to toe, you know, absolutely. It was just, it's a kind of embracing of it, um, just deep, deep surrendering to it and acceptance. And, and I came out of that a few hours later. Well, it didn't take a few hours, but when I was ready to go in the studio, I was absolutely ready. I don't mean there was no more grief because, the you know, missing Howard still continues, you know. But it, there's no suffering with it, you see. The, the suffering is that extra layer. First of all, there's the experience and our feelings. You know this. And then and then the, what we call the suffering is that is what we feel about what we feel when we call it something. If we don't call it anything, we're feeling the feeling but without the suffering. And that makes for a, you know, a, a, a deeply happy life, you know. So, yeah, it's, that's why it's kind of a it's not as complicated as people think all this, you know. They don't have to wait till everything falls away. It just, if you just even get some of these ideas, and I do think everybody should read The Power of Now at least once or many times, you know. But that's just what I would say, because uh, I, I really resonate with, with that. Um, and it's very, and all his books, you know, very, very deep. But, yeah, it's not describing, really. It's, it's kind of the secret of it, you know. And if describing happens, then that's okay, too. But it's just... There's not much of a of a, a story, his story, his story going on, is there? Um, or her story going on, and it's sort of like, yeah, you, you feel everything full on, and there's no afterburn, afterthoughts about it. Yeah. And yeah, here yeah. I can't stop feelings anyway. They they arise, and the, even if if they're powerful, they're powerful. If they're not, they're not. But they're all seen, you know. Um, and but I'm not ruled by the feelings either. It's it's quite. It's quite something because you feel everything. You're not really ruled by how you feel. It's like an alchemy of sorts, isn't it, in some way? Um, yeah, uh, it, it is. And, and there, there are kind of, there there are roots to it that are very quick. One, one route that I found when somebody was really suffering and, and it just came to me and I said, well, are you okay? She said, well, no, you know, and I went. So I said, well, are you okay? about not being okay and she went first of all that stopped her mind and she went well no I'm, I'm not okay about not being okay so I said all right so but are you okay about not being okay about not being okay and, she, and then she went oh, maybe so I said well are you okay about not sure that you feel not feeling okay about not feeling okay about really not feeling okay and of course you get to the point when that person starts laughing because when you go back far enough you realize the point of that whole process is that the fundamental essence of your being is 
neutral and it's always okay it's always but you just have to go back there so i you know it's worked for so many people i i and i know it's sort of advocating a little practice but i i i do um suggest it so i i would just say to anybody listening if you're not feeling okay about something that comes up it might be something dreadful it might be something not so dreadful but if you're calling it dreadful anyway you're not going to feel okay because you're describing it anyway if you just ask yourself am i okay about this no i'm not okay and just keep going back well are you okay that you're not okay no i'm not okay well are you okay that you're not okay that you're not okay until you get to the okay bit it'll it will always happen. I've never seen it fail. It can't fail because if you ask enough times, you're going to get you're going to get that. So that's just a little practice. But these little practices are a little chink of light. You see, they they just show you how something could be because that little practice makes you end up laughing for the most part because you you can't hold on to suffering actually without all the description about it. So this is, it, like that little practice is like somebody's down a deep, dark well with all their horrible, scary thoughts and somebody just gives them a rope and they pull onto the rope and, and you know, with every okay, you get to the point when you're okay and you're, you're out of it, you see. Um, so these things are important to, to do, I think, you know, to, to ignore the idea of a little practice it's also um, not very helpful, really. Um, hmm. I have to ask you, because you come across as a creative person, and obviously you are as such, and you mentioned it probably comes from somewhere else, the creative aspect, but you're into poetry, art, and mysticism about music as well. Um, I'm a creative uh, type as well. Can we talk about the creative aspect and how that comes through and how it integrates and or flows through your life because I find that interesting. I'm self-indulging here, so. <laughs> oh, that, I think it's so nice. It's, it's, it's lovely to be asked, John, really. Um, well, what it is is that I think it comes from not having a very, <laughs> very simple-minded, not having a very busy mind and, and things just come. And, they, and um, what happens is when they come, I don't ignore them. So what happened was with the music was um, I was very good friends with um, a, a, a very sort of kind of rather Catholic uh, uh, writer and teacher. Beautiful. I just absolutely love it. It's very mystic work. And he's written seven books uh, called Choose Only Love, the Choose Only Love series, basically. And they're all different books and, and he's called Sebastian Blacksley and I just um, loved what he did and we, we became good mates and um, those books really affected me see because I I, I love all this stuff like I, there's there's bits of Catholicism bits of Buddhism there's a, I, I embrace everything if it resonates with something and um, I, I had never, ever um, really thought much about Mother Mary because it wasn't in the realm of my experience growing up, you see, because I wasn't Catholic or anything. But he brings that through and he, he, he would say that although is or God is, isn't male or female, it is the time of Mother Mary and that presence is coming through in the form of a greater... Uh, tenderness and richness and light and anyway you'd have to read his wonderful books but I was really struck by that and and I just got this feeling that I needed to um, like I really wanted to 
do some music based on these books. And um, so I called, you know, with his permission, I called the album Choose Only Love. And I really felt the presence of, it felt like Mother Mary. I can't stand here and say it, so it definitely was, but it felt like it to me very strongly. And and I felt that I should get an, an like an Indian harmonium and that the kind of music that would be evolved from this would be like Indian chants, but with a kind of an Anglo kind of thing, Anglo-Indian fusion. And then these just amazing, um, beautiful, like almost like canticle c- kind of songs came through Um and and so I made an album and um and you can hear them they're all on YouTube and um yeah and the album is on my website um and 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 it, it's the choose only love music page and if you anybody wants to hear them and you can't find them on YouTube because you don't know the time you can go to Bandcamp and you can just listen to a sample of each of the tunes but they just came to me I mean and then it was extraordinary what happened when we were recording it because that was the day that I had to put Howard down and 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 we had only four we had eight days in the studio but we did everything in four days it was incredible because each each track was had like there was me singing and then me doing harmonies and then me playing the harmonium and then John playing the guitar and then play, there was about seven or eight tracks per track, if you see what I mean. And yet we did it in four days and and the guys said, never in my life have I done an album that quickly. And I felt the presence of Mother Mary in looking after me and so many magical things happened when we were recording that. And she told me that whoever listens to this album, it will it will um, upgrade their DNA, raise their vibration. And the more they listen, um, the more this will become part of them. They will integrate these new vibrations through this music. And I'd never heard any music like I've, I've never heard myself singing like that. So that's on the that so my website which I mentioned which is healingbyrevealingsoul.com there's a page that's um got choose only love music and then there's another page of the halo gazing and then there's other pages about the power poems that's the music I just don't want to rub it on too long <laughs> No I, yeah it's music and singing apparently is quite powerful and and I'd often sing to different tunes I I had two tunes playing through a tough time in my life uh that were became sort of mantras and I too believed that they actually got me through um somehow um you know uh, music and I think singing and things like that are are quite powerful I think yeah well, they're very powerful, aren't they? Because, I mean, we're made of vibration. So, um, you know, certain ways that that vibrations are put together, which is music, affects us. I mean, our names affect us, you know. I, I, I get an awful lot of information about people just, just from their names. It just comes to me. Somebody gives me a name of somebody I don't know, and so much information comes. 
And it's because a name is is a shape. It's a certain amount of sound. Even if you've got a middle name that's a silent name, it still plays upon your soul because although it's you never hear it because you've maybe never told anybody your middle name, you're aware of it. It shapes you. All these things shape us, you know. Um, you remind me of Nikola and- Tesla. I actually was reading a bit of Oldham and he used to see... Um, the Fibonacci sequence of numbers in, in shapes and things, and it used to appear to him in, in light visions. Just so, really? Yeah, yeah, so there's a scientific meets the spiritual. I mean, I'm a great fan yeah. of his, you know, and yeah, it's quite interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, mm. yeah. Mm. Nothing can be divorced from anything else, and that's why, you know, um, there's no need to worry about your spiritual life or whether you're you're at a time in your life when you're just engrossed in doing lots and lots of things. The only thing that I would say to people is just um, if you are very much involved in lots of mental things, um, just to keep taking lots and lots of little pauses of just a moment like that through the day, just so that you're snipping these thought chains, you're snipping them. Uh, and then you'll find at the end of the day, you're just so much more relaxed. Because if you don't snip these thought chains, you find that you, your mind's heavy at the end of the day and you can't sleep and there's too much going on. But we just introduce a lot of these little pauses. And, uh, you know, whatever we do, even if we're rushing, we're completely at peace while we, we're rushing. We can be at peace, uh, you know, when we're at peace, when, when the core of us is peaceful everybody feels that off off from us and uh, we're all be, we've become little pocket peace zones all over the planet and that has an effect beyond what you could possibly imagine because if 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 you are a person that's not judging the the, the dalai lama puts it nicely he says the absence of judgment is love and that's true isn't it the absence of judgment what is it it's love, not the love, the sentimental love that love isn't an emotion, is it? It's just, it's being, it's pure being, it's the expanse, it's the it's the infinite omnipresence. And, uh, you know, one day I remember that there was this new cafe and it was all glass and, and basically the windows faced onto the car park. So when you, it was a bit self, a bit of a self-conscious thing. When everybody came out of the car, you were aware that everybody in the cafe was just staring at you because they had nobody else to stare at. And one day I came out my car and I was facing the cafe and I saw all the people and I could see all the judgments in all the faces that, that people without meaning to are just judging oh this person's got blue on or i like that color or i don't like that color or this person looks like that or it happens so fast you know that when you're not when you're not aware of your your mind and you're not awake at all and you're very unconscious you just are a mass of judgments now everything that's we could say is wrong with the world everything that's happening in the world and all the violence and all the heaviness is from this judgment that comes from unconscious minds that separate everybody but so this is just to show what a difference it can make even if you just sat at home if you did nothing else but you sat at home and meditated or you sat at home without meditating but you just weren't judging then the more people that there there are 
that, that aren't getting into judgments, the more this affects the whole, you know. It, it affects the whole just in the same way that when you're with very judging people, you can feel it off them. But when you're amongst people that aren't doing that so much, there's a different kind of feeling. So that feeling goes beyond your four walls. It goes into the world. So we can all be pocket peace zones. And um, that's a term that only came to me the other day, you know, pocket peace zone. quite like that, really. And uh, uh, I just thought, well, we can all do that. We don't have to get into groups and be a peace zone. We can do it. We can do little pocket peace zones. And get into groups if we want to. <laughs> I think I think they did an experiment where some there was groups of people meditating, and exponentially it used to affect more people than they were meditating. So maybe if there was one or two people meditating, it would affect sixty people, and if there was three people meditating, it would it would affect one hundred and fifty people, and. So you'd have 100 people could actually, their meditation, 100 people meditating together could help 50,000 people. So exponentially, it, it goes on. Yeah, yeah. And the judgment thing, even my mind today, I went to get something before the uh, before the podcast because I was quickly making dinner with my daughter and my wonderful daughter. Somebody went to the counter ahead of me and straight away the mind made a judgment on something. And I went, wow, you know, there's like a committee meeting up here about something, and, you know, and it's like it was going to it was going to go into we need to have a board meeting about this person. I was like, no, I'm not going there, you know. And Mandy, is there some sort of when we get into this path, it seems as if we were talking there about the judgments and stuff. And, you know, we get into an area of being a pocket peace person. So is there it seems as if. Because that happened for me, I wasn't getting into the judgment. There was nearly a higher intelligence that said to the to the mind, "No, we're not actually getting into that." You know, that, that it's it's so perfect what, what what you said and what you did. Um, all, all I would say is that um, when we have an opinion about our opinions, that's the suffering again. Because then what we're doing is we're making a drama of of it of course we'll have judgments as long as we are still living in this fleshly body um it's just the way the the mind works because the mind it, it just will do that so it will have a judgment or oh, doesn't that person look stupid in that hat or something like that whatever now what let, let's say I'll take, in fact, this happened to me and, I, and, and that, that, this was a little insight for me. So I swim every day and I was in the swim, swimming, um, in the swim pool and, and, and somebody got in with um, one of these old fashioned swimming caps where they have flowers stuck on them, you know. Oh, yeah, and, the, yeah. and, the, and the thought was, you know, oh God, the, that woman looks ridiculous in that. Now, at the time, this is going back years, but I remember this so precisely. I thought, oh, 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 man, first of all, you're a horrible person, Mandy, right? That was the first thing. Two, oh, but, oh, but she, she's got a nice smile. Look, she's smiling. She's obviously a really nice person. Oh, I, I bet she's got a really big heart. Oh, this is how I went, right? Because I felt so awful. And then I realized I was making it bigger and bigger and bigger. And I was making a drama of it. And I was becoming attached to it, like you say, a committee meeting. So that, that was a great insight for me. And the next time, um, an unpleasant thought, if you like, came, a judgment came about someone else. All I did was drop it immediately. I paid it no attention. I didn't feel guilty. I didn't describe it. Oh, you're a mean person. I didn't try to make it better. 
I just dropped it. And every time, and that is the best way, every time that we find a judgment arising, we don't try and be a good person or be a bad person. We don't make it worse. We don't make it better. We just ignore it. We notice. It's just the mind doing its stuff. The mind is only trying to do one thing, in its opinion, keep us safe. So it's judging people um, from the point of view of who is safe and who isn't. Now, so, so then you will say, well, then why would you see a woman in a flowery hat not safe? Well, that's when the mind is leaking into our consciousness and we're unconscious about it. It's, it's now leaving the point. I mean, obviously, a lady in a flowery thing um, isn't going to come over and hit us with a boulder, unlikely, <laughs> especially in a swimming pool. Nevertheless, it's the habit of the mind to just judge everything. So we don't have to, we are not those thoughts. We don't have to feel bad or good. Um, and if we have a lovely thought, if we think, oh, that's a lovely person, I wish them loads of blessings, then we don't think, oh, aren't I lovely, isn't that? <laughs> you know, we just drop that. So when at these judgments, we don't pay any mind to them, that's all. And then they don't become attachments or dramas, just exactly as you as you did. So... Yeah. It's a good slave, but a bad master, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's quite powerful. What you're saying, Mandy, is really, really, anyone listening to this, I'm just saying, I do believe that's really powerful stuff to actually hit on that. And it can really free up. You you mentioned small little things we can do, but I think that's a huge thing. Here, there's just a belief of if there's unidentification through of of any thought, it it just, what, what happened for me, there was bondage to thinking patterns because of some sort of ignorance. It was just nobody taught me and it was just automatic. But when there's a disconnect from a thinking pattern, I actually believe that's a miracle of sorts. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. It is really. It's just that I, I, I suppose I do play it down a little bit because um, it's 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 the habit of the mind to big things up and to cause separation. So, it's you know, if, if I make, you know, if we make anything big out of it, everybody's minds goes, that person can do it, but I can't. And we really must dissolve that. We really must dissolve that because there just isn't any difference. We're, we're all we're all built the same. And, and we, 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 you know, people that would watch this are going to be people that are interested in the, the whole subject of what we've been talking about and other people that you've been interviewing as well. So, um, you know, we're, we're on safe ground here that we're all wanting the same thing, really, you know. Um, so everybody understands the same thing. And um, there's there's just, there's no, nobody's better at it than anybody else. It's just that, you know, you realise things because you're interested. Like I said, you know, from going through particularly from Taoism you know actually one of the the most profound books was for me which massively had an effect on me was the Tao of Winnie the Pooh you know that did you ever read that book the Tao of Winnie the I've Pooh I've never had the pleasure of reading the Tao oh. of Winnie the Pooh I've read Winnie the Pooh probably when I was younger but uh, uh, no no I haven't this writer now what's his name god I uh, would hate to get it wrong. I think it's Benjamin something. And I used to have loads of these books. I'd give them away. But it, it's a guy who had the idea of teaching Taoism through Winnie the Pooh because he said that if you look at the, the, the characters in that book, you've got Winnie the Pooh, who was really laid back. I mean, he would be nothing. He would be so happy. One day he's, he's in the woods and he's deciding... Um, 
you know, is with Piglet, who's trying to take a balloon to a party as a present for the owl, you know, forgotten the name of the owl. Anyway, he is so rushing, because that's the nature of Piglet, to that, that he bursts this balloon and he's crying. So Winnie the Pooh comes and with his jar of honey, because he always, that's what he takes to everybody's party because that's his favourite thing. And he sees Piglet and he says, oh, don't worry, I'll just eat this jar of um, honey and then we can play with the pieces of the balloon and put them in the jar and then take them out of the jar. <laughs> so he eats all the honey and then they make a game of just putting all the bits in the the bits of the balloon in the jar and then out the jar and then in the jar. In other words, the whole trail of that book is that Winnie the Pooh just goes with whatever it is and like water accommodating a stone just goes with the flow of whatever happens, of whatever arises. And it's portrayed through the different characters. So you've got the donkey, Eeyore. He's very miserable. He's like Marvin the Robot in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. He's very miserable all the time. And then you've got the the, the rabbit, who, who he calls Busy Back Soon, because he's always running about. And then Piglet likes to show off. That's why he always wants to be first everywhere. And then you've got Winnie the Pooh's just really laid back. And it's just a thin little book. And I, I, I just would advise everybody to read it, The Tao of Winnie the Pooh. And, and uh, yeah, I found that, honestly, that I did find that life-changing. It, it taught me everything about surrender and going with the flow and everything. Um, and then that made me want to spend my entire life learning how to be like Winnie the Pooh, you know. And so, so that's kind of what opened everything out, you see. So, uh, yeah, you, sometimes, you you know, you find a book that just strikes you and and it becomes your hero and you aspire to that. And that's great if you've got some, something to aspire to because if that becomes your practice and it works for you, it can really open your life out. There's wisdom everywhere. Remind me, I was I, I did this business course because I'm into kind of business stuff, and uh, one guy said there are no problems, only solutions. Problems are opportunities, and it was like a spiritual something. It was a spiritual bullet, and it was quite interesting. It's like, yeah, wow, okay, yeah, and he was actually right, you know. So we can get wisdom from everywhere, can't we? Really, like. Uh, yeah, 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 absolutely. Uh, and and like, um, I don't know if you come across um, somebody. He, he's died now in two thousand and something. Great guy, Sydney Banks, and he was a Scottish welder, and he became enlightened. Basically, he he was a very very angry man, and and um, he went to he, he was doing anything to try and get rid of all this anger, and he went to some psychology conference, and he was just on the beach going home, and he thought, oh, this has been a whole waste of time, a complete waste of time. And anyway, I met one of these psychologists, and. Um, he, he said, he, he, so he said to this guy, well, I'm just so angry all the time. And the psychologist said one, he said, no, you're not angry. You just think you're angry. And that was, that was it for him. He suddenly thought, oh my God. And that's what we've been talking about today, about when we describe things continuously to ourselves, that's what the suffering is. You know, if we stop keep just having pauses from all the describing, just realising that you can give yourself permission to just stop describing and listening to the commentary, you know, um, then you, you can you can do it, you know. I just think everybody really could, could do it. Depends how addicted you are to 
to wanting to suffer and to listening to the stories. I haven't got any addiction to that. <laughs> I don't want to be suffering, you know. There's a lot of wisdom and it seemed to be the talk went a lot in that direction about how, you know, we how to deal with suffering and the human condition of that. And mm. yeah, it, it, it's quite profound. Mandy, do you not teach anymore? Because like... Um, you don't teach or, or do you do one-to-ones? Or? Yeah, yeah I, do. I mean, what I do is uh, I do anything <laughs> anybody asks me, you know. I mean, I just kind of don't set out to. I just see. I mean, I've got um, – it, it, there's a page on my website which says – which I don't really like the name, but I didn't know what else to call it at the time. But it, it's um, it's because it sounds a bit up itself, really. It's called Spiritual Mentoring. Because, but I mean, it's not that I particularly like that expression, but I didn't quite know what else to call it at the time. Anyway, so that's where people can um, have a one-to-one with me over Zoom, you know, or come and see me or whatever. And um, yeah, I mean, like if somebody asked me to come and give a talk, then, you know, or not talk, but you know what I mean, a something, then then I I do it. Um, I just don't set out to... (laughs) it's not that I'm not for or against it I just see what happens really if it evolves it evolves I'm always happy to you know that's great to hear and we've and your website before we finish is www. am I right healingbyrevealingsoul.com or is it www.healingbyrevealingmysoul.com oh no it's got no my in it okay it's it's healingbyrevealingsoul.com And and, and the reason it's revealing soul is because these things, um, which you can find out about on the website, and I do workshops about it, these um, things called power poems, um, they're about that when it's, it's about helping doing healing as well, that when we're doing healing, we're not. Well, when I'm doing healing for somebody, I'm not trying to make matter better. I'm not seeing them separate from me with a problem. I, I am just, I, I just literally uh, sit and and I sit in, in the presence of revealing their soul. So it's like I just kind of wait, not in a waiting consciousness, but I'm sitting and I'm seeing their absolute perfection unfold. You know, it's it's like how I see these things these halos above people's heads so it's that's why it's called healing by revealing soul.com and everything that's on that website is revealing soul because when you are not judging anything when you are not describing your any, any behavior you are revealing more of your soul you're revealing and that soul isn't yours exactly so it kind of is and it isn't so so that's why it's healing by revealing soul.com <laughs> excellent and there's poetry art and music there's a whole bunch of stuff there that people would be interested about in the halo gazing halo um, gazing yeah, people want to apply to have the halo gazed at and they're at a picture of it or that can be found on the halo page. And there's a video interview that I did all about the halo gazing, which that is quite fascinating. And then there's the whole page with the Choose Only Love music so they can listen to the music and all sorts of stuff on there. Mandy Salk, it's been great uh, having you on the show and it's been wonderful. And uh, I think a lot of people would benefit from that. And I, I would... Uh, recommend people to go onto the website there and check it out too 
Can I just say thank you so much, Johnny? First of all, it's just lovely to be in touch again. And I've just really enjoyed it. It's just been lovely and I loved hearing about you. I'd love to hear more about you as well. So, And thank you, anybody who cares to listen. Thank you so much. I'm so grateful. It's lovely. It's been fun. Great stuff, yeah. Mandy. It's been fun. And uh, once again, thank you. Uh, and and uh, we hope to catch up soon. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us on our podcast and we very much hope you enjoyed us. If you did, please subscribe for more on your chosen platform. And also, if you'd like to keep in contact, please hit us up on social media. So folks, until next time, please take care and we hope you join us soon.